Welcome to a special edition of Breaking Badness. In this bonus episode, you'll hear from Peter Lowe, DNS Abuse Ambassador for FIRST, Blocklist Maintainer, and co-host of the Not So Critical Update podcast. Daniel Schwalbe and I talk with Peter a bit about his background, passions within InfoSec, and a bit about who he is as a person outside of the industry. This bonus episode of Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to our special episode of Breaking Badness, recorded on August 15th, 2023. With us today is Peter Lowe. I'm recording this intro on Wednesday, August 30th, because Daniel and I had such a great conversation with Peter that we hit record and let things flow naturally. So we forgot to do the intro. So we hope you enjoy this episode. And after, be sure to check out that aforementioned uh, podcast of Peter's, which is the Not So Critical Update. Enjoy this episode. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure during the... um you know, predictions outlook uh, podcast we did in December of uh, 22. Uh-huh. Uh, we talked about how like generative AI is going to be the Fisher's boon because first of all, it'll probably fix any typos and misspellings, uh, and also um, voice generation. So the prolific gift card spammer that we get occasionally, who's impersonating uh, poorly, I might add, our CEO. Um, Next thing, you probably get a call from our CEO in the voice yeah. that sounds believable and say, hey, do this. And that's going to be a whole lot harder to so, uh, control for. Yeah, so so you win that prediction because that has come true in, a, in an actually more sinister way than uh, you might have actually predicted. Um, so I, I was reading a story like last week. I think it was about um, – it was on like CNBC or something like that, but covered in a couple of places. And it's about scammers who call – uh, people and then pretend to be like their kids or, or, oh. or a, a loved one who's in need and say uh, something like, you know, mum, please help me. I, I'm, I'm, some guy's kidnapped me. And then they hand it over to a guy who's the same person uh-huh. who then says, um, okay, we have your child. Send $5,000 to this address or we'll, I don't know, chop off her finger or something. But like um, it because they can use an AI to imitate the, uh, the, the kid in the first place because that person's uploaded their whole life to TikTok or whatever. Um, They can get a really accurate voice and, you know, yeah, it's it's pretty bad. This was an an episode on The Simpsons not that long ago, too. Simpsons did it. (laughs) 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 It's it's pretty horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and that scam happened to my, I guess, would you call her my grandmother-in-law? She's not my grandma. Oh, yeah. I've always wondered about that. But yeah, Yeah. I know what you mean. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, she uh, she got a call say like tr- that someone was trying to portray my husband and but and it's like why would he call his grandma? He's a thirty three year old man. Like, <laughs> 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 that's not really going to be his first call. The, so I think I'm not sure if it was CNBC, but one of the one of the American news outlets, and they had actually. Uh, they had a clip of a guy talking to uh, someone from law enforcement about it. And they ended the clip by the guy from law enforcement um, faking the journalist's uh, uh, voice, calling up the journalist's mum and saying, hey, mum, listen, I'm about to do an interview, but can you send me your driver's license details just quickly? Thanks. Listen, I've got to go. Bye. And then put it down. And, and his his mum did. Because, <gasps> yeah. I, yeah. And, you know. Because <laughs> she, she asked for it. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm just about to do an interview with the one I told you about. But um, listen, I, uh, for the purpose of the interview, yeah, it's it's convincing, you know. It, it, this is not helping my time. paranoia. Yeah, like, I'm sorry. So <laughs> I'm already like a naturally paranoid person. Wait, but am I paranoid enough? Hmm. And uh, this is definitely not helping this. Their their advice was that they that they should have you should we should have code words like family code words, which seems a bit I don't know seems a bit extreme. I mean, me. for those of you, you who know me, word. it will come as no surprise that I've actually instituted that policy with my family uh, okay. several years ago. Yeah, my All parents right, well, did the same thing. Really? Yeah. Wow. We, we we talked about it on our podcast, and and um, Mike, uh, one of my co-hosts, was said, um, "Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't do that." And I was like, "Well, well so so the the um, the code word for you is like what? <laughs> it's just <laughs> it's like, I don't know. What are you talking about? <laughs> I think that probably would be a good way of proving like, someone you pass." <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Oh, it's it's definitely you. He's got no idea. <laughs> okay. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Well, I, you've had your five cups of coffee in, right? Yeah, I, I, I was saying to um, I was saying to Casey earlier, Daniel, that I I didn't sleep great last night, so I had a few cups of coffee before hmm. <laughs> before we started. So, um, yeah. <clears throat> Those are the best kind of days. Yeah, sweet caffeine, well, take me home. <laughs> you know, a, a, a few years ago, I tried to stop drinking coffee, and I did for a while. But then I just, I, you know, I just have. I thought, okay, I'll just have one every day, one before one o'clock every day. And now it's a few years later, and I'm, you know, basically injecting myself with it again. So <clears throat> I think might need to be a reset soon. Many years ago, when uh, I was in U.S. Army boot camp, uh, they cut you, at least at the time, who knows what happens today, but they cut you off from like any soda pop, any caffeine whatsoever. And I was there for, I think, like 12 weeks or something like that. Let me tell you, that first cup of coffee after it was all over was amazing. (laughs) I didn't know they did that. Oh yeah. I would. Oh. Wow. Do they? Um, yeah, that doesn't sound like fun. I'll be honest. <laughs> do, would you do that again voluntarily? Today, no. Did you at, know that at, going at into it? Twenty-one years of age, absolutely. It was one of the best decisions I made at the time. Huh? Really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, um, I, oh, go ahead, Peter. I was going to say I, I read a uh, thing a few years ago about how they did an experiment on. Um, patients who are under general anesthetic and they put uh caffeine in a small amount of caffeine in the drip that they got given after they were sort of revived or after they came to and the people who had the caffeine in it reported like they felt better they had fewer headaches and um yeah so we're all sort of mildly addicted to caffeine basically pretty much i say this as yeah. i raise my coffee, cup of coffee <laughs> <laughs> well um Maybe we should talk about um, how you two know each other. So, because uh, you were introduced to me by Daniel, so maybe we, uh, you know, we we really jumped into uh, into it there. But let's back, <laughs> let's back up just yeah. a little bit. You're right. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 do you know what? Actually, I don't know when the first time I met Daniel was. It was either at a conference or through work. Yeah, Did I don't. Think, I was done? thinking about that. I don't specifically recall either. I think we. 
only met in person recently, but that was largely due to COVID. Yeah. Uh, not being able to get out there, but we've certainly been emailing and, and working on projects and stuff for, for quite a few years. Really? What kind of projects? We can't talk about that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, internet can you, can you just, security stuff. Yeah. Can you just bleep a whole load of words? <laughs> I knew there was bleep and bleep, bleep and bleep bleep. Bleep, <laughs> redacted, bleep, redacted. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, three, I think there's three, there's cybersecurity, DNS, um, professional stuff and conferences so one of those something okay yes well that's not as good of a story as i was hoping for yeah no. sorry <laughs> we can make when we up. all meet in person we will have that conversation but i'm sorry dear listener this is not podcast material <laughs> yeah. oh it's okay um how about well how about this um can we talk a, a little bit peter about uh your background in security and, and how you got started and you know, any and just any key moments that have you know changed the tra- trajectory uh, of your career, maybe. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for asking. <laughs> of course, um, I've only done pro- security properly, like uh, uh, professionally, for maybe like four years. Really? And I kind of fell. In- yeah, I know, not that long. I, I kind of fell into it, but I've been interested in cybersecurity for well since forever. I remember I joined. Um, if, if anybody out there remembers the bug track mailing list, which used to be one of the coolest places to where people reported, um, you know, vulnerabilities and proof of concepts, and proof of yeah, proof of concepts and, and exploits and things, and it was like a security discussion list. It kind of died off. Um, it got transitioned into something called security focus, and then got killed off. A, a, okay, I don't know, a long time ago, but like, like back in 1999, that was the the place to be. Um, uh, at least, you know, publicly. And um, so, yeah, I've always been interested in it. Uh, I was named the, the, this was borrowed from Yahoo, uh, the paranoid at work. Uh, one place I worked at in the UK, which is about, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago, um, where we, the company got hacked. And it was really cool. I, mean, I shouldn't say cool. It, it was, but no, it was, it was, it was cool. Like, there was, a, this guy got into the systems through um, an external service. It was a company that had two different products and there was one that had a code base that wasn't so well maintained. Um, and they were kind of disconnected, but this, the hacker got in by kind of exploring one of the, the one that was less well maintained. And um, it, there were some connections between servers that we weren't actually aware of because they were, they'd been around for years and the, you know, these kind of like legacy issues. It's a common, common way for people to get access to systems. Um, and uh, yeah, anyway, so so after we discovered it, we did a kind of a forensic investigation to figure out exactly how they got into the system so we could patch the holes. And um, I took the lead and I really enjoyed it. It was fascinating looking, you know, scouring through log files to see the backtrack, to see which database he'd gotten into and how, what queries he'd run and what services had been kind of um, had holes in them. And yeah, after that, they named me the Paranoid, um, which I think was like a job title at Yahoo or a sort of honorary title. Being paranoid. So, yeah, yeah, chief, the Paranoid. Chief, chief Paranoia. I didn't think I didn't get the Chief, um, <laughs> the chief Paranoid title, unfortunately. As- associate Paranoia? <laughs> Maybe, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> okay, let's go with that. <laughs> 
we, we should put out a certification. You know, there's not enough professional certifications out there, so we should put one that's like you know, uh, entry level paranoid, like you know, proficient <laughs> yeah. paranoid and master paranoid. Oh, yeah. I, think I like I could, that. I think I could be. I'm at least intermediate. Intermediate paranoid. paranoid. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it would be like a hats that you get as a certificate instead of the, uh, instead of like an actual paper. <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> I was just at DefCon, and as as usual, there was the tinfoil hat contest, and uh, oh, really? it was pretty pretty amazing the creations that people made. There's an arts and crafts component to DefCon. Oh, absolutely! Nobody told me that. Talk more. I about want to see that. that. Did you get some photos? <laughs> uh, no pictures allowed. No, sadly. Oh, okay. I think they may of have course. posted some official ones, but yeah, you know. that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I guess also, as well as that, I've, I've run this uh, block list for a long time, which isn't really cybersecurity related, but it has uh, got me. I would what say it think? is. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, oh yeah. Well, I, so I have, a, I have a, a block list. I started in 1997, I think, for ad, uh, d- domains that are used for ads and trackers on the internet. It started off as just a way to block ads. You could add doubleclick.net to the list and then uh, set up a local name server that would uh, act as a master for that domain. And then, um, you know, uh, null root all the, the uh, like a, set up a wildcard for, for doubleclick.net and anything doubleclick.net would just be sent to localhost or whatever. Um, yeah. I've, I've always been curious, has doubleclick ever reached out to you? <laughs> no, they haven't. They actually, no, they haven't. They've been on the list since, oh God, yeah, since the beginning. Really, it it was one of the first ever uh, that I um, that I added, but the, it's been one of the longest running. I think, yeah, June the sixth, two thousand three, uh, is when the entry was added. <clears throat> but I think it was actually added before then. I think I must have done a reset about that time. Um, but it's it's it sort of turned. Uh, it, I don't really add many entries anymore which are actually related to uh, serving ads it's more to do with tracking and telemetry and metrics and things like that um so it's turned into turned me into kind of like a, a closet privacy evangelist um which is kind which, of interesting and in this day and age i think is equally important depending on which way you look at it even more important than just straight up security i think so it's a good place to yeah be. i i think so um it's quite a nuanced subject as well i think because there are people on both sides who it's quite polarizing. There's a lot of people who say, "Oh, I, I want to, I want you know more useful ads." There's not that as many as on the other side, but um, there are there are people out there who prefer to have ads which are uh, targeted at them, which are useful or stuff they want to buy. And there's other people who don't want any information about them out there ever. And then there's a kind of middle ground. And I don't, I don't know. For me, the main things are that people should be aware of what's going on and have a choice to opt out if they want. Um, is there, I don't know if this is the right platform to ask this, is there a way to stop video ads from playing? <laughs> well, on YouTube? No, no, just like when I'm trying to just read an article because I want to read the article and then there's just like a video ad on the side that's like, so like in my periphery, something is moving and I don't like it. And is there a way to stop that? There is. We'll talk about that. <laughs> for sure because i'm just like i just want to read this article in peace like i want to read the thing that you shared 
I mean, the advertisers certainly are keeping up with blocking technology, and so it's a constant cat and mouse game. And it becomes harder, especially the embedded stuff is much harder to block. But like site panel, you know, video stuff, those are all typically separate DNS calls, which we can do something about. Let's do something about that. Yeah, it's um, this is a kind of uh, a passion project for me. And I've been doing it for ages, but there are people out there who are way more active and, and energetic about it. Um, there's one uh, community I'm part of, which is where I can see in real time the filter list maintainers reacting to changes that advertisers have done to be able to kind of counteract. So this cat and mouse game you're talking about, Daniel, is... It's like constant and daily. There was one company actually that um, it was it was an ad tech company, and they had some domain, um, some sort of randomly generated domain that they were using to serve ads, and they could they were watching the GitHub commits of um, EasyList, which is one of the is the biggest I think filter list out there, and um, you could tell when it was five or six o'clock wherever the the company was because. Um, they would stop. What would happen is throughout the day, they would be watching the commits, change the domain that was in that they were using to serve ads according to the latest filter list update, um, and then around five or six o'clock, uh, they would stop. <laughs> so there would be, be like a few hours when the ads were actually blocked, and they would start again the next day. That's hilarious, but that makes total sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing about DNS, right? You you can't really hide anything in DNS. So yeah. if you want to put something out to the block, you have to be explicit about it. And it stands to reason that a uh, motivated um, advertiser who doesn't want you to block things would be monitoring this. So that's, you know, hats off to them, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it's... it's uh... It's a constant fight. I think I'm I'm curious to see how AI is going to deal with things on both sides. Yeah, um, because there'll be advertisers trying to use AI to slip in ads in various places, and then people using AI to block ads as well, which is going to be interesting. I I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if we're going out on the prediction limb a little bit again. I would not be surprised um, if. Maybe like you know certain celebrities or whatnot, they they don't want to necessarily do their own recording of ads because that's you know boring whatever. But they might give license to have an AI generated version of themselves interject you know product placement and advertisement in certain you know movies oh, yeah. or things that they do. So it becomes just really impossible to filter it out or block it without losing the rest of the content. I mean like the bad. Back in the olden days when there was soap operas on the radio and they would have you know, the actors speak commercials in there. You can't really block that or not listen to that, or not miss when it keeps going on. So I'm I'm very concerned that this is what the future is where you know you watch a, a program you're interested in and then all of a sudden it like subtly cuts to an AI generated version of that actor making a product pitch and you're like, oh, Oh no, that's gonna put Tom Hanks' brother out of business. Did you did you know Tom Hanks' brother does all of the Woody voices in really in, in the games, like in all the video oh, games? So okay. like when so yeah, so he so Tom Hanks does Woody in all of the movies and you know the higher level stuff, and then his brother steps in and does all the video game voices. That's convincing enough, Tom Hanks impersonator. Yeah, I'm, and I'm sure Colin Hanks could too as well. His son. I know a lot about TV, so 
So yeah, AI is gonna put. Uh, I don't know what his name is. Uh, his brother or Tom Hanks' brother, but yeah, that not Tom. Like, it's not Tom. <laughs> not Tom. <laughs> hey, uh, Other Tom. It only occurred to me. I think this year that Tom Hanks' name is is Thanks. You haven't seen those cards, like no. Um, well, not. I guess you're not like a a millennial gal going into all the cute little gift shops. <laughs> There's a. Like in every every cute little gift shop, there's like funny cards, and there's one that says T. Period Hanks in the thanks section. Uh, You'll I'm find it. You can find it everywhere. I'll look out for them. now. <laughs> T. T. Hanks Giving. That's oh. another popular one. But okay, you, but you don't have that. You wouldn't we don't. have that in uh, in the UK. I don't go into card shops at all much. You're right. I have to I have to confess. You have to you have to. There's cute little I do, things I there. Christmas cards. That's about it. Mm, yeah. Yeah, on the topic of Tom Hanks, he's like my bellwether. He seems like a genuinely truly nice person, you know, kind of ho- Hollywood yeah. royalty by now. If there is ever an announcement that like there's something sketch with Tom Hanks or he like <laughs> actually turns out to be a creeper or something, I give up. That's the day yeah. I throw in the towel. That's it. No more. It it does seem to be like more and more of our childhood heroes of turning out to be terrible people, some one way or another. Yeah. And I'm choosing to believe that Tom Hanks is a genuinely nice guy. I would yeah. agree with that. Yeah, and I would too. agree. If if something comes out, I'm going to be very. Uh, that's the day you lose hope. I would. Yep. I would assume. Same with Rita Wilson, his wife. I'm just like looking at her. I'm thinking she seems like a great person too. I like them as a couple. And the fact that they've been together for that long, I think says something and they probably keep each other in check to a degree. So that's all a good thing. Don't mess with it. Keep going. I want to die knowing that Tom Hanks was a good person. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Well, fingers crossed. huh? Hopefully it will be a while before that happens anyway, but um Peter, yeah. it's not an episode of Breaking Badness if we don't do this. You know, <laughs> really? If we don't get this far off track. <laughs> okay, speaking of AI. We <laughs> can talk about um, AI. Yeah, no, I, 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 want to, um, I want to express my absolute fascination with the problems that we have that are facing the world at the moment. I really do. They, 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 um, the fact that there are... Sec- like genuinely new security issues which haven't been solved and and I don't think currently can be solved or at least I haven't heard of a way to do it with the you know prompt injection um and these kind of like AI detection basically so AI which is going to be used for uh deep fakes and things like that how do you detect it and how do you detect misinformation disinformation it's not these are things which we don't know how to do yet and I think it's such a rare thing um, well, maybe this is showing my naivety, but it feels like a rare thing where there's something genuinely completely new. Um, in cybersecurity, it mostly seems to be more like iterations on previous problems, you know, more advanced methods or things like that, or um, old methods used in different ways. But like prompt injection is almost, it's like linguistics and philosophy and, and just, yeah, it's crazy. It's making a liberal arts education very, very relevant. Yeah, right. <laughs> Excellent point. <laughs> I, I, have I to say, say that as a liberal arts grad. Uh, so, 
<laughs> I, I have to say the whole uh, you know AI technology aspect as a as a you know card carrying nerd that definitely is appealing to me. But as a security professional, it also scares the daylights out of me oh. because I can think of every single way this could be abused and is already being abused. And I'm like, well, I guess it's job security. But at the same time, like, can I just hide and never like come out ever again? Well, that's the problem with the cybersecurity industry is that is that you're you're constantly terrified and fascinated by everything at the same time, right? Like it, it's it's cool because you get to play these games with the bad guys and figure out how they're doing things and figure out what the rules are. Um, but at the same time, they're doing terrible, horrible things, terrible things, and and it's um, genuinely bad. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> if I start thinking about it too much, I get I get very uh, jumpy. So, but yes, it doesn't mean I, it can't can't engage with it because it it does exist and we all need to. But I guess maybe in in certain amounts and measures. Well, I feel the same way about the the ad filtering, the ad blocking uh, community, and it was sort of, I don't know, not quite industry, but like um, technology that's going on because because I I totally get it right all this telemetry that we're sending about ourselves and all this data that we're sending and and the fact that um websites know how long we're hovering over certain elements and and where we've come from and all this data that's been put together it's kind of cool having this amount of data to put together and play with and, and create something interesting is um is appeals to my geeky side but it's horrible i don't want there to be a, a psychological profile being constantly updated of myself out there right yeah. i don't want i don't want to be put in a box like that where i'm like oh i thought i was unique and the data is <laughs> the data saying no you fall in this box uh, well, and to me i want to control the box i'm fine if there's a box that has my name associated with it as long as the information that's in it is completely incorrect and garbage <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> that would be amazing. I've accepted the fact that there's going to be a box. Like, that ship has sailed. But I make it my mission <laughs> to pollute that data as much as possible wow. so it's not worth much. Do you click on random ads then for uh, to, to see I, how... I may or may not have a script that sometimes does that. Oh, <laughs> that's advanced. Well, I, I'm lazy. Yeah, automate, automate all the things. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. So I don't know. I, I think it's cool. I, I love the fact that AI is kind of the cybersecurity and uh, sort of philosophy have, have you know, actually crossed now with AI. I heard that um, some of the attacks which are going to be successful against AIs in the future will be successful against humans as well. So, you know, convincing an AI to do something that it shouldn't do, it, you, to be able to do that, you have to be... Um, to be able to manipulate it, and that would work on a human as well. Oh, 100%. All those things were designed by humans. So you're just like reverse engineering whoever designed that particular AI and exploit their shortcomings. Yeah, or, or, or the collective intelligence of the data it was trained on, which, you know. Do you think it will gain sentience? Oh, I mean, so, yeah. So, well, somebody had a... Somebody made a joke that was like, if it gains sentience, it's going to realize it's not being paid enough either. <laughs> <laughs> It'll still steal all the Bitcoin in the world. <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> oh my god we would just start seeing new nfts popping up <laughs> i don't know man uh it here's the question though right if it doesn't actually because a lot of the arguments i've heard are about it's not really ai it's just predictive text kind of thing it's a very complicated predictive text or not even complicated but if it can mimic it well enough if it, if it can mimic genuine intelligence well enough what's the difference Hmm. That is a philosophical question if I've ever heard one. <laughs> well, and the other thing know. is, I don't. I mean, sentience is kind of a, you know, difficult thing to prove. But at the same time, at least today and within the next few years, all the stuff still has to run on server farms somewhere. And in theory, you can pull the plug on those. Like, we're not to the point where AI fully controls power generation and can block the override of humans to power something down. Yeah. Maybe we'll get yeah. there sometime. Maybe AI, sentient AI, will figure out where all the controls are and lock everybody out. But, you know, so far, we still control weapons. We could blow up a dam if that stops the power generation that feeds the data center where the crazy sentient AI that wants to kill everybody is, is located. So that's yeah, kind of yeah. the only thing that gives gives me a little bit of solace. <laughs> yeah, it lets you sleep at night. Yeah. It's yeah, I, I feel the same. I think also creativity, genuine creativity, is missing from um, from the current round of AI instinct and creativity. Um, yeah. So yeah, th there's no right free will, right? Not yet. Let's hope. <laughs> <laughs> Are we uh, laughing because we don't know what else to do? Well, I mean, to, to kind of bring it back to, you know, the, hopefully the relevant stuff of uh, our audience, you know, we're, we're facing this at work like, okay, so AI is the new hotness, generative AI and, you know, co-pilot and this and that, and every vendor is bolting on AI to all the different tools that we use. And then, you know, my job as, you know, being risk managing for the company, I'm like, ho, 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 hold on. Um, we don't really want to give this thing access to our, you know, proprietary repo because once that horse leaves the barn, it's not coming back, yeah. and that code enters the general, you know, data pool of the large language models, and all of a sudden, like, you know, maybe some of our more clever designs are entering everywhere else, and that's that's a real tough one because creativity, right? We hire creative people, we hire skilled developers and engineers. That's all cool. Um, but I don't want that competitive advantage to filter out there inadvertently. And sure, is it nice to be able to say like, hey, write me a Python script that does the following things. And yeah, you're still going to have to do some post-processing usually, but it saves a bunch of time. And the counter argument is, well, we all use Stack Overflow. Yeah, but you don't really take your entire code repo and post it on Stack Overflow and say, hey, in this particular section, um, how do I fix this? So I think there's still a bit of a difference. And so I'm very concerned that we are inadvertently feeding the beast with proprietary information because we want to jump on the bandwagon of the new hotness because everybody's doing it and it's cool. 100%. Yeah. One of the things I'd be most interested in is is um, replicating, you know, like chat GPT, but locally and having control over the, like you said, control over the box. Being able to kind of start off with a, with a model and then feed it kind of, your own documents and your own uh, personal stuff, but not, not knowing it doesn't leave that server, um, which looks like 
it's going to be possible pretty soon. I've seen a few different uh, options for that, but um, I've not actually tried many of them out yet. So we'll see. Yeah, I do believe that is going to be a selling point, and I'm sure it'll cost a premium, as with lots of the on-prem stuff. But of course, now my paranoid side is speaking like, do I really trust that nothing is leaving? Like, yeah. still <laughs> running third-party code that supposedly does something. Like, I'm going to have to really closely monitor the ins and outs of that thing. Yeah, yeah. It's Well, uh, the other thing is, it's all happening so quickly. You know, there, there are AI security experts who have only been experts for three months because the whole thing has only been a, you know, a generative AI has only been a thing for like nine months. But you're, you're not so, an expert until you reach 10,000 hours. 10,000 hours? Yeah, 10,000 hours. So, I, yeah, ooh, well. Is that, is that three months? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> I think that came from Malcolm Gladwell and let's not get into that, but I have issues with that. We can, we can I think talk about it at the end. <laughs> it's just relative. Like, I mean, they're experts compared to anybody else. And because people are looking for when there's something like this happens and there's a big um, sort of almost scare about what all the possibilities that can happen, everybody starts looking around for an authoritative voice who can reassure us or, or tell us what to do. And th- anybody who's been looking at it for um, for three months is is almost an expert at this point, I suppose. Uh I, I will say I felt a little uneasy by how much I felt caught off guard when this sort of sprung onto the public scene. So I make it my business to kind of track new developments in tech and all that kind of stuff because it's relevant to our work and how to protect uh, what it is that we're charged with protecting. And so the fact when like generative AI all of a sudden came into the public sphere as a splash, um, I had failed to track how advanced it had gotten. I knew this was happening and something, but when it, when I actually saw some of the like early versions of ChatGPT being publicly released, I was like, oh, wow, this has advanced leaps and bounds, and somehow yeah. I wasn't tracking it. And that kind of like felt like a little bit like a professional failure on my part, because we all know they didn't just develop this six months ago. Like this has been going on for a while and they just kind of held back before like unleashing it to the wider public with a big splash. And so that part is like, I mean, how were they were able to keep that under wraps enough that some of us with invested interest weren't necessarily as aware of it? That's the scary part. I wouldn't feel too bad, man. I mean, there were a lot of people. I think majority of people were caught off guard here. It was only people who were actually um, interested in AI uh, specifically, like data scientists and, and people tracking the, the the industry who would actually maybe not be so surprised. And and we've had so many things in the past where AI has been the next big thing, or someone's released, a, you know, Google's released an AI chatbot, and and just almost immediately it's been torn apart by people getting it to imitate Hitler or whatever. Right. Um, it's so there's it's fair if you were like, oh, this is probably not likely to be, <laughs> you know, um, as impactful as it has been. And there's a tiny part of me that hopes that maybe in another six months, nobody will ever speak of it again. It was a nice experiment and it was shiny, but it wasn't actually that good. But then again, I don't think that'll actually happen. <laughs> well, I, I've, st- I've used it a few times. So I, uh, my uh, early, the bulk of my early career was as a developer. And um, so I've got you know a good couple of decades as a, as a PHP developer um, that I've done. And I, yeah, I know, I know. I always get that reaction. 
<laughs> hey, PHP is a good language, all right? I, I will die on that hill. <laughs> I probably will die on it as well. Um, but um, it, it's I have used ChatGPT to write some PHP code for me. And it it's really useful. I don't think we're going to get away from that. Um, and I've noticed sometimes yeah. it's better than Google at answering questions. And I like yeah. that. The like, problem is the confidence, I think. It's unearned confidence. Well, and when it's it been proven to just make stuff up. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that's well, where I'm yeah. like, wait a second. That sounds really good, but is it actually true? It was like an, yeah. I got an answer that was an, an an answer, and Google's like, "Is this a band you're looking for?" And I'm like, "No, that's I'm not looking for that right now. I don't know how to phrase this any better than I am." And ChatGPT was like, "I got you, girl." <laughs> wow, that's yeah. cool. One of the fascinating things about AI, which it's see, there's all these different levels to it, which are sort of all still settling in, but using AI to use AI. Mm -hmm. um, so, for example, I use uh, an image generation uh, thingy called uh, Leonardo, I think it is. Mm -hmm. And um, it's cool. You type in, uh, I don't know, a sunny day with a, uh, birds flying by. But that's kind of boring. And you get the image, the image you get isn't quite very good. But it's got this thing called image generation, uh, a prompt generation, sorry. So you can use the, a, the LLM in the background to generate better prompts to use with the image generation thing, which are more, ac more what you're looking for. And, and it's how ChatGPT was trained, was it was partially um, like the output of one layer was checked by another layer, which then fed back in the most uh, likely looking answers back into the, the model, something like that. I, um, it's sort of fascinating, really. Yeah, that's that's really appealing to me too. Uh, in the early days when you know personal assistants sort of first became popular, so Alexa, you know, OK Google, uh, Cortana. I hope I've triggered a whole bunch of voice prompts in the background by saying this. <laughs> but um, there was so, sort of silly videos on YouTube where people were pinning them against each other by prompting them in time, and then they would just keep prompting each other <laughs> in an infinite yeah. loop. Um, maybe we need to uh, pit some of the bigger AI engine against each other so they just consume <laughs> all possible cycles on fighting each yeah. other. <laughs> Absolutely. I love that idea. Ooh, do you want to hear that... a prompt that Alexa could not answer? Sure. Go on. For, okay, so you remember the music artist Cisco, right? Yes. It is very important for me to know what his net worth is. So I go, Alexa, what is Cisco's <laughs> net worth? And it it would not give me anything other than Cisco, the company, wow. and its net worth. And I'm like, no, Cisco, the recording artist. And it still is like, here you go. Here's this company's net worth. And I'm just like, no, you're not doing it. I need to know how much this artist is worth. You know, I'm pretty sure wow. one of the Alexa core developers is listening to our podcast. And if you try this again <laughs> in a couple of days, it'll be fixed. It'll be like, you know what? <laughs> Somebody is going to ask this ridiculous question that matters to nobody. <laughs> <laughs> there was a, a great movie that I watched. Oh, I can't remember what it was called now, but it was about um, uh, a girl who was, uh, her job was to kind of analyze the clips from from questions like this that weren't Kimmy. answered properly. Kimmy, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, it was, it was a good movie. Yes. And um, correct them, uh, which was, and then it, you know, there was a, 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 
a murder or something that was part of it. But, um, you know, to make it a movie. Some, something <laughs> but, for everyone. Yeah. But the interesting thing to me was about someone sitting at home listening to these different clips and correcting them and it, the kind of gradual improvement overall. It does remind me of, you know, raising a child almost in that you'll teach them some basic things and then they'll come out with silly things and then you gradually they learn more and more and then they turn into you know adults at the end of the day i don't know Daniel, can you confirm that i don't have children <laughs> I, I i think there's definitely something to that um the reason i knew it was kimmy is because you know it's professional interest i watched it but it's also supposed to be set in seattle and one of my oh. like personal pet peeves is when movies or TV shows are set in Seattle to critique the exterior shots. And I'm like, this is clearly Vancouver. You're just trying <laughs> to pull one over. Or like in the movie, like she takes the light rail from like one point to another. And I'm like, the light rail doesn't actually go there in real life. So nice try, but try harder. Yeah. That's shocking. an interesting but... hobby. Well, you know. <laughs> Oh, well, uh, we've gotten, we've, we've covered a lot, a lot. Of, uh. <laughs> I mean, AI is one of my favorite topics at the moment because it really does fascinate. I, I, this thing about it being a genuinely new, new problem, like Daniel, can you remember the last like fundamentally new problem that the cybersecurity industry had to face? That's like, an excellent question. I, I think the advent of smartphones was another big pivotal moment when we all started ah, carrying yeah. s like tiny computers in our pocket that gave us eventually, you know, unfettered internet access. I mean, like, you know, the first iPhone, the browser was like a hot piece of garbage, but uh, eventually that got figured out. And now there's entire populations that do anything and everything they do on smartphones. They don't have computers or laptops or anything like that. And I think that was a, a big pivot, but that's about the only last big thing I can think of. That's a really good, a good one, I think. Um, because there's a lot of comparisons as well. Like the fact that we have this incredible amount of power sitting in our pockets and, you know, with TikTok and stuff, we basically have fully fledged video editing um, tools in, in our pockets and, and kids are growing up with those creativity tools but we also have um little miniature surveillance devices that we're voluntarily carrying around with ourselves and um creating this vast network of uh, this enabling like surveillance capitalism and all that so um yeah i think smartphones advance that whole area of the industry by leaps and bounds for sure because yeah of location tracking and all that kind of stuff i, I oftentimes you know I, I don't want to rag on uh, people who have Alexa devices or OK Googles in their house, but you'll never find one of those in my house. But, um, you know, George Orwell had it almost right, but what he couldn't have imagined that we would voluntarily pay to have the always on surveillance <laughs> microphones installed in our houses. I can tell you this. When yeah. I couldn't answer that Cisco question, I was like, this is lame. I don't need this. Like, for real, for real. Nice. Here's the thing, though, Daniel. I completely agree with you. I don't have any of those, um, you know, smart um, speakers or anything. So you're you're in the minority here, I'm afraid, Kali. Um, but um, I, I think it's a slippery slope. I think it's one of those things where they kind of creep into our lives without even noticing. And there's a point at which, you know, do you know how difficult it is to to, to buy a dumb TV these days? Impossible. Like to, it's impossible. yeah. I know. 
It's so hard. Like, and it, when you get one, uh, if you get a smart TV and just don't want to connect it to the internet, it's constantly prompting. I, I got one a few years ago and it was pro- constantly prompting me to like connect to this or connect to that. You need internet for this or whatever. Um, yeah, I, I, I was one of the last of my uh, group of friends to have a mobile phone. And I was always quite proud of myself that, you know, I could live without one. But in the end, I still got one. At the end of the day, you know. It, what yeah. made you get one? Oh, I, I can't remember. <laughs> it's, it was way too long ago now. <laughs> I think um, just because everybody else had one, I think it was oh, peer no. pressure. Yeah. I, got, I had one of those. Peer pressure got me too. So. <laughs> I was kind of on the other side of the spectrum. I got a, you know, very old school Nokia mobile phone, you know, growing up in Germany in like 1993, I want to say, like super early on, like as soon as my like, you know, paper route or whatever made me enough money that I could afford it because my parents were like, you can do that, but we're not paying for it. (laughs) And so that, that, but it was kind of a coolness factor at the time. But at the flip side, I was very late to the smartphone uh, market. I had a Blackberry for work for some time, but that's kind of in between. It's not truly smart, but it's not a dumb phone. Uh, And then I didn't get to the iPhone until like iPhone four. Oh, okay. Actually thinking about it. Me too. I, I've had iPhones before, but I haven't ever gone out and bought one for myself. Um, uh, just through work. They're really nice devices, but, you know, I don't know. I, I'm happy with my crappy old Samsung, what is it, A6 or something. It's rubbish. It's very slow. And I kind of like the fact that it's rubbish. <laughs> I've heard that. This uh, is totally not me typing and looking for all the vulnerabilities in that device. <laughs> <laughs> I might just dox myself. <laughs> I've actually heard there's a trend amongst the uh, like college kids now that where they have like a regular flip phone, and that's what they take when they go to parties and stuff now, because I think yeah. they want the authenticity. I, I think it's that, you know, the, the like ironic coolness factor. I've definitely heard that as well. Um, but I also think, you know, sorry, Callie, your generation, millennials, is not quite on board with that. But the following generations are definitely pulling back and are caring more about privacy. So I, I occasionally teach at University of Washington. I teach undergrads. And in the early years, oh, wow. there was definitely, you know, a somewhat tail end millennial heavy uh uh, cohorts and they're like I don't care you know my data is already out there why should I care and I'm like oh let's have that conversation and I'll skate the daylights out of them with all the stuff that could happen and they're like oh wait but then they're not going to do anything about it but now the future sort of generations um, are I believe being a little bit more discerning and are making better choices about how much they put out there now TikTok is obviously still in business so a lot of them make that compromise, but I don't think it's quite as freewheeling anymore. Uh, and, and they at least start asking questions, right, where does my data go and what are these companies doing with it? Yeah, so I, I said before that the two most important things when it comes to privacy for me are, uh, well, user agency and, and user awareness. Um, and that, that awareness, I think, is a key part of it. Because if you know that TikTok is the kind of um, app that is going to basically suck up all your data and report everything about you, and then you can kind of censor yourself. You know that that's happening. And you don't, not necessarily censor yourself, but you're just sort of 
It's like being with di a different group of friends where you wouldn't say certain things in different trust groups. Um, and I think that's a kind of a key part of, yeah. Definitely. The, the next generation of uh, kids out there. Well, and speaking from my experience with my kids, um, it's, uh, you know, when you're when your dad works at infosec um yeah, yeah. It might... you, have, you have a lame childhood no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i wasn't gonna say it quite that specifically but that might not be totally incorrect i mean i should get I'm... my son on here and ask his question but um that might be a good episode oh i might have to do that <laughs> um so yeah my, my network here is locked down and everything is monitored and both kids signed consent to monitor agreements uh just so <laughs> You know, we're perfectly clear. We don't routinely look at stuff, but if something's going on, I reserved a right to. Um, okay. But of course, he also has a, a a mobile phone, you know, and it's mobile device managed, but it only goes so far. And so there has to be yeah. a certain amount of trust. And as he you know, proves that he's more and more trustworthy, he gets a little bit more, you know, wiggle room there. But um, what what started early on, and especially you know during pandemic lockdown, the only way these kids really could communicate was electronically. Nobody has a home phone anymore, so it's not like they could just call each other. So that kind of complicated things for a little bit. But you know, not not to totally diss on the other parents that here might be listening that are friends of my children. Um, a lot of parents have a lot of stuff going on and they're not as engaged as I make it my business to be as a infosec professional. And so, you know, for example, at the time, Twitter, whatever the heck it's called now, I don't care, um, had, had a, a rule that said no accounts for individuals under 13 years old. Like there's, a, there's an American regulation that says, you know, COPA, 13 years. Uh, but a lot of times there's a carve out with parental permission, you can still have an account. Okay, everybody clicks okay and the parents never know about it. That's fine. But uh, we have a rule in our house that we don't knowingly break terms of service. So if the terms of service say you have to be 13, then you're not getting an account before that. And, uh, uh, you know, he's older than 13 now, uh, so he has an account. But in the whole process, and we had a lot of time on our hands during the lockdown, because where else are you going to go? Um, I sort of instituted this rule that uh, you want a new app? Okay, read the privacy policy, read the terms of service, and there will be a quiz. So I'll know you'll have read it. Um, and then make an informed decision. Do you really want to agree to all of those things that they're telling you that they're going to do? And if you think you want to take that risk, then okay, it's, an, it's to your point, Peter, that's informed consent. And so, uh, you know, when TikTok came around and he was all like, oh, I want to check this out. And I'm like, oh, do the thing. And he's like, wait a second, I read this. And what they can do, <laughs> no, thank you. And I'm like, yes. Oh, yeah, you must have felt so vindicated, so uh, proud at that moment. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Although I do, I, I think what you're doing is absolutely admirable, um, and to be emulated, um, I do wonder if they like, <laughs> like Kelly would say, like um, having a dad who's the headmaster. You know, it, like it, it's it must be tricky sometimes. For them. I, I'm definitely I, so, trying to be sympathetic to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I, so I, I've got a, a friend, my girlfriend, and she has uh, three kids. And so I'm, I'm not don't have kids myself, but with her kids, when I first met her, I, there's two girls, and I sat down with them, and I wanted to have a chat with them. She's not very technical, so I, I wanted to sit down and make sure that they were sort of 
you know, aware of the things that can happen online and how to deal with things, um, especially with TikTok and, and Snapchat and, you know. Um, and um, I was kind of shocked how competent uh, <laughs> the, the older girl was. She was just incredible. I was like, okay, so... Um, so you know that there's people out there who might, you know, uh, seem like they're nice people, but uh, want to actually sort of take advantage of it. And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this guy here, I, I blocked him. Like, yeah, this guy here, blocked him, reporting him. I was like, oh, oh, oh okay. Well, it seems like you're like, well, so your sister, do you? and she's like, oh, yeah, I check my sister's phone all the time. They kind of like, it was really nice. good to see. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, think, so I think generally yeah, the, the kids are heading in the right direction and there's always going to be exceptions but it, it gives me some mild amount of hope until that's going to get crushed by something else but in the meantime take the win yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely well uh do we just want to this has been a great episode by the way peter um thank you yeah thank you so much for being here do we maybe we just want to we'll pivot and we'll talk a little bit about you as a person before we exit does that sound yeah good? sure yeah, yeah. I so you and I chatted on the on the phone a little bit before about uh, you know what your interests are. And they are wide ranging and, and very cool. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Do you want to do you want to talk about traveling or gaming or geocaching? So well, travel is is very dear to my heart. I um, I never went to um, to university or anything. I left school when I was sixteen. I went to go to work for the, the second internet cafe in the UK. Uh, so that, that dates me. Um, and um, uh, very soon after that, I left uh, to go live in, in Prague in the Czech Republic. Um, so I think I was 17 or 18 at the time. I, I lived there for a long time, uh, like 11 years. Uh, had a year back in London in the meantime. They went back uh, to the UK. Then I left the UK to go to uh, Amsterdam, stayed a couple of places in Holland. Then I let, went to live in Malta and then Berlin for a bit and uh, back in the UK at the moment. Did you so, overlap yeah. with Daniel in Germany? Oh, probably not. I was only oh. there for a few months. Oh, okay. Uh, that, I, I left I in 97 know. for good. So. Oh, <laughs> then no, I didn't. <laughs> um, yeah, so I love I love uh, travel. I think it's such a an important thing for people to do because... We're so different in different parts of the world. And, you know, different cultures are so, well, I was going to say so foreign to us, but I mean, literally foreign, right? It's, right. <laughs> that's it. um, and it's, it kind of fascinates me and horrifies me how um, there are things that we would consider, we would consider, you know, un, unheard of in certain parts of the world, which are just commonplace in other parts. Some of the, human rights issues and things like that but also just the differences in um basic things like nodding is different in a in another culture it's some places it's putting your head from side to side and sometimes it's moving your head up and down or, or backwards and forwards um those kind of core cultural differences fascinate me and seeing them and adjusting to them is uh just a, a, an amazing thing to do i think i would also imagine you know just security is different in all of these different countries as well right I, I, that's just something i'd never thought about before it's not necessarily uniform yeah that's true actually um 
the things that you can do and can't do and what's accepted and what's aren't what what, what isn't uh physical security i think is definitely a, a good example because there's some parts of the world where you can walk off and leave your doors unlocked and other parts where you you uh you know obviously you can't do that you just don't leave anything in your car ever that you might not want to get nicked and there are certain parts um, when you accidentally stumble to the wrong front door, you might get shot. And other places in the world yeah. where that doesn't happen. Yeah. yeah, I don't know why I'm laughing at that. It's not. It does not that funny, really. But um, yeah. <laughs> Do you want to hear my, one of my friends? His uh, uh, theory to not get his car broken into was just leave a book on the on the passenger seat. For some reason, he's like, I swear by this. They don't want to rob you if you have a book. For some reason. You're a poor nerd when you read books, so nothing to rob. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. I didn't think about it like that, but yeah, there's there's just usually a book just floating around my car anyway, just because I'm lazy bringing stuff in. Has that been proven wrong so far? I, I, I mean, I haven't had my car broken into. I also kind of forget to lock my doors. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Listen, I got a lot going on. Well, yeah, I'm not, and yeah, I'm at right. my house doors, too. I just kind of forget <laughs> sometimes. But I mean, listen. who doesn't, right? Listen. I'm in a, I'm in a relatively nice, safe area. <laughs> um, uh, just uh, to tack on to the travel thing, by the way, so you, you asked about my other interests and uh, geocaching. So I don't yeah. do this so much anymore. Um, but when I came back to the UK in, oh God, it was like 2010 or something like that, um, I didn't have any friends here. Uh, one downside of traveling around a lot of living in different places is that I'd never really built up any kind of like friend. Uh, I mean, lots of, lots of friends, but they're all spread out everywhere. Um, so when I came back to the UK, I didn't really know anyone and I was looking for something to do. And I heard about geocaching. I, if you're not familiar with it, it's, um, it's like a treasure hunt in real life. There are millions of geocaches all over the world. And on the website, geocaching.com, you can... Look up where they are. There's different kinds. So the the basic ones just give you the the coordinates, the geolocation where you go and look for it. Um, and the more complicated ones are like multi-step ones or puzzle caches where you have to go. You get given part of the coordinates and you have to go to a location and get numbers off a street sign or something. Um, and basically the end uh, goal is to find the actual cache itself. And the caches can be different sizes. The smallest is like a, a size of your thumbnail. And the biggest one I ever found was like a big crate that was in the, the middle of the woods and they can be in urban areas and hidden um some of them they have two different ratings that i think it's the terrain and the like difficulty like how hard it is to find so that it can be really easy to find but i don't know underwater or something and the train will be <laughs> the train rating will be high um or it could be uh really easy to find like it's on a lamppost but actually very difficult to find my dad um got involved with it as well and um uh, he's really taken off. Like, he he does it on his own now. Uh, but the, the, he said the hardest one he found was in a kind of easy-to-find place in, in the woods. But somebody had hidden it in a, a snail shell. And, Whoa. Um, yeah. Whoa. And they, there were a lot of snail shells around. <laughs> <laughs> so he had to walk around, like, look, turning each one up over to see if there was a little piece of paper tucked inside. Um, so, yeah. I, I One that I found really hard to find was they, they're quite often disguised as like bolts, magnetic uh, bolts that are stuck on the side of things. They look just like a, you know, nut and bolt. And um, you take it apart and unscrew the actual thread part and there's a little piece of paper stuck inside. Oh, that's clever. That's awesome. Yeah. 
I, I have so, an affinity for game. like the Cold War area spycraft. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've worked in the general industry for long enough, but uh, I often wonder, like, if if a like one of the top spies of the, like the 1960s. Uh, who like risked life and limb to make teeny tiny photographs of secure documents. If they were around today and you could show them an SD card the size of their pinky that essentially can oh, yeah. hold the entire Library of Congress in there, I think their minds would just be blown. But I really appreciate that length that they went through at the time to miniaturize spy gear and to have all of these like dead drop agreements and all kinds of stuff. And so geocaching is like adjacent to that. Yeah, you'll be told where it is, but it's not supposed to be visible to, you know, the casual passerby. So like the magnetic yeah. gold or whatever. So I, I really like like that aspect of geocaching for sure. Like how clever some of the caches that are disguised. Yeah. It's 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 a great uh pastime. And um I love that aspect of it as well, the, the cleverness of the, the the hiding places and things like that. And, and some of them are like, like the one that was, I found one that was underwater in Malta. And um, it was so cool to go and actually dive down and get this like bag that had been tied on there. And just to think that I've walked past that spot so many times and it had been down there the whole time was just fascinating. So cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another thing is that it take it took me to places that I wouldn't have gone to otherwise because a lot of them are like in series, and each cache has a description usually. Well, usually, um, and it tells you a little bit about the area. And if it's in a series, it'll tell you a bit about the, kind of like a through a forest or uh, at a tourist spot or something like that. And um, yeah, it'll, it'll take me to places that I would never have gone to otherwise and teach me a little bit about it, which is just yeah, a great great side effect. That sounds like a really cool thing to do. I should. That. I've never given it a, given it a shot. So. You've got me thinking, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite things about it, before I, I, I've now gone on about it enough at the moment, um, I'd send your check to uh, <laughs> my address, geocaching.com, um, is that they have one on the International Space Station. Oh, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not getting to that one. <laughs> yeah, they they had to invent entirely new rules for it because obviously the the ISS doesn't have a fixed geolocation, so um, they had to yeah add a few extra bits in the rules for that one. That's that's hilarious. It has been claimed like six times. So really, it's uh, yeah 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 it's <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's really cool. Well, um, you know we've we've kept you for a long time today, Peter, but we. We really appreciate you coming on. Uh, uh, it's on been our a lot podcast. of fun. And do you do you want to uh, do a brief uh, shout out to to your podcast before we uh, we say goodbye? Yeah, thanks. Um, so I do a. I mentioned this right at the beginning. I do a podcast with two friends, Mike and John. Uh, we have it's called the Not So Critical Update uh, podcast, and it's on YouTube and Spotify and Apple whatever but we do a video thing we record uh once a week and then chop them out in, into daily episodes so cool. it's about privacy and security nominally but it's often just us talking rubbish about headlines from the week so <laughs> well that's awesome yeah. well, we're going to share that in the show notes too so um thank you yeah but yeah thank you so much for being here today and uh um, we'd love to have you back if you if you'd ever have us <laughs> yeah absolutely i have got to get daniel on our podcast yes yes daniel go on there absolutely you <laughs> name the time i'll be there all right cool you're on well 
Well, thank you so much, Peter and Daniel, for for being here today. Uh, and thank you to thank our you listeners. You know, be sure to uh, to you know check out our show notes, check out Peter's podcast, and we will be back next week for our brand new episode of Breaking Badness. Thanks so much. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at DomainTools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.